Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul the Prophet Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the Metaverse. What we do is we cover the most pressing Metaverse topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the love. If you haven't already, go leave a review on the podcast, a five-star review. Tell everyone how much you love it. It's how other people discover the podcast. And please share the podcast with a friend, with a colleague. If you're big into Web3, big into Metaverse, um, share it with all the people you know. And uh, and we appreciate it. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I uh, just got back from a week-long trip to Paris. So I finally feel like I'm uh, a little bit rested. I actually moved into my new house yesterday, although Congrats. I'm not currently there. Very nice. I'm currently there. We, moved, <laughs> we are about... 50% moved in now. We still have a bunch of like, some little stuff to do. So I'm still a bit of a nomad uh, in my in-laws basement, but I'm hoping by next week, this time we will be officially in and then I can kind of put my feet up for like an hour and relax. It's been a long month as a, as a nomad to some extent. I will say I'm hoping by next week also, I will be back to proper studio setup. So people should sort of, uh, apologies for the last few weeks because, you know, we're both uh, in transit and in transition uh, and hopefully be back to sort of the audio quality that people have come to expect and things like that. But I was going to ask you, are you fluent in French now? Like n- there's no no issues? <laughs> no, no. But no. I do know how to say croissant. I <laughs> ate a lot of the, they, they, I, I had a lot of croissants, a lot of croissants, a lot of ham and cheese. I ate a lot of Italian food too, which I'm sure will not shock you, Paul, or anyone who's listening who knows me, but I ate a lot of Italian food in France. <laughs> you may have missed the boat on that one. I mean, it may be better opportunities for other cuisines in France, but you know, um, Next time. Their own job. As, long as, as long as you were happy, you had a good time. Um, yep. But you missed, uh, no, you didn't miss. Lots happened while you were away, and I think we need to break it down as we always do. And I think we need to start with a story that we touched on, in fact, on a previous episode, and that was the Axie Infinity hack. And finally, more details have come out in terms of how this all happened, how it all went down, so to speak. And the headline in this article is Axie Infinity hack committed via fake LinkedIn posts and DAO permissions. So... Axie Infinity's Ronin Bridge hack started with a fake LinkedIn job offer, according to this article. And according to the U.S. government, the culprit was Lazarus Group, which is a North Korean group of hackers. Um, Obviously, $625 was stolen. And um, the way they did it was they set up fake LinkedIn accounts with fake job offers and lured in Axie Infinity employees with promises of you know, big salaries, big, extremely generous compensation packages to attract the employees. And then as part of this job process, they did fake interviews and and were sent a PDF file 
which was supposed to be the job offer um, and ended up being essentially uh, the, the, the file that hacked their PCs. And by getting four of the nine validators of the Ronin network, they were able to get control of the network and steal $625 million. So um, <laughs> you would think to steal $625 million, this would have been a massively sophisticated, you know, like you see in the movies kind of operation. In reality, it was just some basic social engineering of LinkedIn. I'm curious what you think about this one. Well, we had known it was social engineering, but this the level of detail here is, is entertaining, <laughs> funny, and also like a little bit scary because it's like, it, you could see a lot of people falling for this, right? Like I don't, one, you got to feel bad for the guy who fell for this. Like, like imagine going back into the work the next day. I mean, I don't know if he still works there. I probably assume no, but like imagine going back and be like, yeah, so not only was I looking for another job, I also <laughs> caused us to lose $625 million. But having said that, like, it's not that outrageous to think that, you know, if you're on the, if you're an early member of Sky Mavis' team, I'm sure you are incredibly skilled. You were very early to, you know, the metaverse, early to crypto, early to, to you know, play and earn gaming. So it stands to reason that you probably do have a lot of job offers coming your way at extremely lucrative compensation. Like, I wish I wish we got more detail on that because I'd be very interested to see like what like, are we talking ridiculous numbers like someone's like hey you're gonna make eighteen million dollars a year or uh, you know something like I'm very curious to know what that actual number they were kind of dangling there was <laughs> yeah but uh, it, it's not that outrageous it sounds like they went through a very like reasonable interview process like you know they, these people were incredibly prepared um, as as hackers to like put that much effort into it they had to obviously. I assume make a website like you probably had to put a lot of effort into because anyone who's getting a job offer, they're going to Google. Okay. What does this company do? Who are they? Are they on LinkedIn? Do they have employees? So I assume that all of that kind of backstory had to be there. Um, so, you know, maybe they earned their 625 million just a little bit, but uh, it, it, at the heart of it, obviously I think it's a humorous story for us on the outside, but it's also a cautionary tale, it, both for employees like do your due diligence and you're, if you're in this web three world and you're getting job offers, because if it sounds too good to be true, it, it may actually be too good to be true. Um, and then the other reason of caution is for companies, like maybe don't have it so that one employee can effectively break down your entire security system. If you're going to use a permissionless blockchain and irreversible transactions on a, on a distributed ledger, like, like and I, I think they needed that, four out of nine. But yes, yeah. good point. <laughs> yeah. That that topic I think has been covered a lot. And I think Axie and Sky Mavis have done a lot in, since then to bolster that security, have have more nodes and have it be a bit a bit less penetrable. Um but yeah, I think that that those are my takeaways. I'm curious what what you think. No, I like where you went with it. Look, there's not that much to break down here. It's sort of a, a, a funny, interesting story. Um there's not much like business discussion around it. I do think there you're where you're spot on is it's a bit of a cautionary tale. And I think anything that touches the crypto world, people sometimes have a false sense of security, right? Like it's crypto. It's, it's in the word, right? It's by its nature supposed to be very secure and, uh, you know, impenetrable and, and in reality. And, and I think in the context of metaverse, this is, truly where it's a cautionary tale and people need to be thinking about this as we build out metaverses and there's more at risk than even $625 million, right? Where 
potentially there's billions, trillions flowing through metaverses, um, that anytime you have a human link in the chain, it's vulnerable, right? Like you can have all the security in the world. You can have as much cryptography as you want. You can, you can have as many nodes. You can do all these things. If you have a human being in the chain, there's a vulnerability. And, and I don't think there's any way of ever getting around that. And this is a pure, perfect demonstration of that, right? Like you, you can have this Fort Knox of digital security, but you can easily manipulate the human brain, uh, fortunately mm-hmm. or unfortunately. And, uh, you know, let's hope that this doesn't happen again and that there are good lessons learned and people are really careful next time. But I think it, it's easy to say that this will happen again in some capacity somewhere. Um, but good to be good to be in the know. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about polium. Polium. This story um, was interesting, Jeff, because you remember you and I talked about the first Web three phone. I think this calling themselves the headline here, introducing Polium One, the first Web three gaming console. And so, what they're trying to do is essentially here. I'll, I'll summarize the article: create a console that is capable of running games that are built on different blockchains. So whether it's Immutable X or Solana or Ethereum or Polygon or Wax or BNB, EOS, Harmony, it lists all these. Um, You don't need to switch networks. You can run all these games on all these blockchains from this console. Um, And the idea is to make it easy to use, it says, for a traditional gamer who doesn't understand Web3. So the idea here is to bring mass adoption of Web3 with this piece of hardware. Um, the gaming console, says it says, is designed with a fingerprint scanner. So there is this level of security and it's integrated with its own wallet. Um, so you can make transactions when the console is running. Um, other than that, it looks very much like the controller looks like a PlayStation controller, I think. Uh, and it looks very much like a standard console. The release date is pegged for Q3 2024. Um, with the initial 10,000 consoles uh, reserved for holders of the Polian Pass, which is an NFT-like access. Of course, there has to be an NFT to access it. Yes, of Um, course. There was one thing I clicked. I actually clicked into the article or the the Medium post where the Polian team described it, and they were talking about um, how this was going to be built by the community which I had a, I had a great chuckle about. We always talk on our, on our other podcast about Dr. Disrespect and how he's, you know, his company right now, Midnight Society is building a game built by the community. And it's like, how do you build a game by the community? Like it's, it's almost impossible to incorporate that much feedback. Imagine yep. building a console, a piece of consumer electronic hardware <laughs> quote, by the community. What are you going to like? How is that possible? Oh, what chip should we use? Let's, let's run a poll in our DAO to see what chip technology we should use. Like, it, it just doesn't, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like you almost hope they're just saying that for lip service, because if they actually yeah. tried to incorporate that, it would be even more ridiculous than them just saying it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I feel pretty similarly, I guess, about this that I did with the, the phone. Like This all to me feels like a software solution. Like I do agree that if, we're, if we do get to a point where Web3 games are good enough and people have this hunger for this and they, they really want them versus Web2 games it will be a software solution, right? Like, I just don't see why you need a piece of hardware that, that and, and maybe it's because I'm not understanding the technology enough and you, you probably have better understanding of this than me. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what makes something a Web3 console? 
Like, why couldn't Xbox or Sony just say, okay, we now enable you to do this, you know, uh, crypto payments. Like to me, it's a payment. This is a payment provider that you've then wrapped into a piece of hardware that you're going to have to make. That's going to cost a ton of money and you're going to have to get into people's homes. Like what are the odds that even if people want to play crypto games, they're not going to do it on this console. And these crypto developers are not going to develop for this console. Like we see this all the time. Like it's, it goes back to state. It's a stadia again, right? It's like, this may yeah. be, a, and I and I have a lot less confidence in this team than I did in Google in, in the ability to actually build technology. You know, Stadia's technology is good, and it failed because it didn't have content. So the odds of Polum One being able to build a better console than Xbox, Microsoft, Google, and Nintendo <laughs> is just yeah. zero. Like it's just. It oh, by the way, zero. all lose money on their consoles, right? Even to it's this just day. completely zero, and they have no content attached to it. No first-party studios, no exclusive content. So as I'm talking about it more, the the more angry and less bullish, like the more bearish I'm getting. The okay, only good. part that I think is interesting in one sliver of what we talked about at the outset is the fingerprint scanner. Because I think there's some rationale where, okay, like you, you have the hardware, you have the fingerprint scanner, and now you know who's actually buying the NFT. Like it could, that could be a little bit of ease of use. So I'll give them that. So I'm glad you came around because I was worried there for a moment that I was going to have to really <laughs> viciously disagree with you. Because I think this is probably the dumbest idea maybe I've ever heard. Maybe in the history of ideas, there's none dumber than this other than, you know, Stadia, which was maybe the dumbest idea of all time. Um, this one, this one, such a head scratcher. And let me just address your last point, because initially I was thinking, yeah, maybe the fingerprint scanner is like the thing that's different, right? Like that. I get it. Let me answer your question before, which is any console, any piece of general computing hardware can do everything this can if the software is written for it to allow it, right? Like, there's no reason why Sony couldn't make their PlayStation play Web3 games if they didn't want, if they wanted to. Um, the fingerprint scanner is sort of a unique thing, um, but I can tell you this: Sony and Xbox, like at Microsoft, could easily do this through their phone apps. In other words, mm -hmm. you're on the console. You need to uh, you need to you know uh, verify, validate, whatever. It'll prompt you on your phone, on an app on your phone. You use the fingerprint scanner yeah. there, which every phone has, and it'll be reflected back on the Xbox. This is done in, I've seen it in many other scenarios, non-gaming scenarios. It works very well. Um, so there's nothing really unique here. They want to make consumer hardware, which even the big guys, like I said, lose money on, um, to play a bunch of really horrible games today um, makes no sense to me. Like, what? Why would you go make hardware for this? And and their their stated goal also makes no sense to me. It says we want to make like they want to build this to make it easy to use for a traditional gamer who doesn't understand Web3. I can guarantee you that traditional gamer when December rolls around and it's Christmas and they're going to buy a console, they're going to look at the shelf and go Xbox, PlayStation or Polium or whatever. <laughs> Hmm, I wonder what's the what's the buy, purchase decision they're going to make. Like, let's this is only going to be for the most hardcore of Web three gamers, which is such a small group of people. It's laughable. Um, it's just I don't know what this is for, why this and exists. Even still, and still, use a PC. They probably be better off using a PC. Yeah. So, so in your yeah. mind, does this does do we ever 
after this story, will we ever talk about the poem one console again? Do you think we'll hear hear more about it? Do you think they'll announce exclusive games? Do you think they'll announce a, no. thir- a first party studio? Do you think they'll get more funding? Do you think it'll ever happen or not? We, we will hear about them again a year from today where they're laying off the whole team. And unfortunately, the project is canceled. That's that's when we'll hear about them. Yeah. Um, I, the, this has no future beyond that. Uh, if they manage to sell these 10,000 NFTs, like, like there, there is a history of like consoles that sold an initial run and then disappeared sort of into oblivion. So maybe they make a few of them and a few people get them and then no one ever talks about it ever again. Uh, yeah. I, just, I just don't, I, I think it's a horrible idea and it's an unfortunate waste of people's time and resources. Um, all right, let's, let's move on. Let's, you mentioned, I, I want to actually skip ahead. I, I had a different order here, but you mentioned Dr. Disrespect. Um, and the doc is obviously, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I'm a big fan of what he's accomplished in the gaming space. And there's a story here which ties back to him. And it's an interesting sort of NFT slash metaverse story also. And the, the headline here is newly published patent hints at Nike branded video game NFTs. So it says it looks like Nike is the latest company wanting to enter the NFT and video game markets with a new patent filing that could include in-game apparel. So um, they, they talked about the world's first NFT console actually in this article, but um, Nike has supposedly patented um, basically integrating NFTs and a new kind of system for integrating NFTs into video games. And Nike would do this by incorporating some of its branded shoes into the games. So basically, you're playing a game like FIFA or Madden, and you could buy Nike shoes as NFTs in those games. Now, why Nike is filing this patent right now, we can speculate. But what do you think of Nike sort of throwing their hat in the NFT in video game ring here? Well, I mean, Nike has been pretty forward, you know, on the, like, I think they're, they were pretty early to hire someone they, uh, to be like a chief metaverse officer. They also bought Artifact. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, if you recall, so like, and that Artifact was like a digital, um, like a digital goods, um, designer, like almost like the Nike of the metaverse, if you will. Um, so they've, they've definitely, like, kudos to them for being a big company and actually leaning into this and, 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 Every step of the way, I think they've been pretty smart with what they've doing, been doing. Like I, th- I think they're being aggressive, but yet also like very, very focused and, and, and smart about it. Um, what was I going to say? Um, Let me ask you this, Jeff. Oh, around right, it. I, I just, I guess, it just I, for, I remember my train of thought. It's a bit surprising. I mean, you know, it's interesting that they're doing this in sports games because it's like. I don't necessarily understand why this needs to be an NFT, right? Like people are already buying digital goods in those games, even shoes, right? I, I believe you can customize, you know, various parts of your avatar, including their, your, your clothing. So like, why does it necessarily have to be an NFT in those games? Like, I, I don't know that I see that, that there's going to be enough differentiation where you're going to need to trade them. Like, I think they'd be better off just selling a digital version of the shoe. Yeah where there wasn't scarcity and it wasn't connected to the blockchain. I mean, in, in the same way you could buy a Balenciaga backpack in Fortnite, like 
Why doesn't yeah. Nike? Why didn't Nike do a deal with Fortnite? You know, two years ago to have Nike clothes with the swoosh and you know Nike backpack and Nike hat and like like cool Nike gear. In like, you're right. You don't need the NFT at all. Um, it's interesting that they patent this now. They haven't said they, the article mentions that the likely target is things like FIFA and Madden, but you're right. Also, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Here's the question I have for you, because this is the second time I heard Nike this same week in the same week. And on the business of esports podcast or our weekly news show specifically, I should mention, we talked about a story where um, Dr. Disrespect, who's a very well-known gamer streamer on YouTube, um, he hinted, we don't know if it's not confirmed, he hinted at the idea that he was going to make a shoe with Nike, right? Like a doctor disrespect shoe with Nike. What do you think today sells better? The doctor disrespect X Nike real shoe, or if they do a, an NFT shoe. And, and I think we'd have to qualify the NFT shoe where it is, right? Because I think it's, it matters if it's in some random web three game versus if it's in, Fortnite mm-hmm. or uh, or FIFA or something like that, right? Um, so, but I'm curious how you break how you would break that Ooh, down. It's and- a great question. I, I my initial reaction was that the real shoe would do better, and I think I will stick to that. But your last point about depending on where it is, like I think if if Doctor Disrespect put a Nike shoe into Fortnite that was branded Doctor Disrespect, I think it would sell very well at a much lower cost. So you would sell more shoes, but you would probably make less revenue, but you might yeah. make more profit. So it's, it was a little, it, it kind of like there was a, a lot of nuance there. As a collector, what do I think? And I guess this is, this is another angle. What do I think would be worth more a year after you purchased it? I think the physical Dr. Disrespect shoe has a decent chance of becoming like a cool collector's item that people who are fans might buy and trade. I think the, the virtual NFT would be worth almost nothing after people bought it. Unless there was an extreme amount of scarcity and they sold two of them or something. Can I tell you why I hate the NFT? Because I, I, I'm thinking about my own question. And here's how I would have done it. Here's, here's I think, the best case scenario, right? They, Nike launches a shoe with Dr. If I'm Nike, I'm the CEO of Nike tomorrow. I launch a shoe with Dr. Disrespect, right? If you buy the shoe, you buy the shoe, the real life shoe. You get a code that allows you to get the same shoe in game in pick the game that Dr. Disrespect plays the most, like Call of Duty, let's say, right? Something yeah. like that. Some, some piece of Nike apparel in Call of Duty uh, only if you buy the shoe. And every crypto person is going to say, oh, boy, you could make it an NFT, right? Like if you buy the real shoe, you give people an NFT. But like, I think your average 12 year old couldn't care less about the NFT. And what I hate about the NFT is all that will encourage that it's, it's tradability. It's going to encourage scalpers to go buy all the shoes, right? And, and, then, and then sell them at ridiculous prices, as opposed mm-hmm. to if you buy the shoe and it's a code to download the, the in-game skin with no ability to trade or resell it, right? Like, I guess with a code, you potentially could, but my it, it's more difficult, right? If you lock people in without the ability to trade freely, yeah. I th- sort of feel like there's benefits in this case. 
but then you're just turning it into like a digital drop. Like we've seen this in Fortnite for years. And I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that generally, yeah, I, I'm fully agree. I, I like the idea. Fortnite of did tying... do this. Yeah. Yeah. They did do this. Um, the, the I bought a Samsung phone. I can't remember which Galaxy one it was, but there it was maybe the one from two years ago. I bought the phone because with it, you got the exclusive Galaxy skin in Fortnite. But only if you bought the phone, which I thought was cool. It was unique, right? And it, yep. you couldn't get the skin any other way. Um, I, I just, I really challenge the crypto people who listen to the podcast to think through the benefits of some of these technologies to the end user, because it's not well articulated. And if, if we don't see it clear as day and can articulate it clear as day to the average 12 year old, right. Or the average 65 year old on the other end of it. Um, I think, I think it's all a bit of fluff, right? Like I, I, Nike, I, I feel like has better things to do. Um, however, I do see a metaverse universe world where you can buy everything Nike you can buy in the Nike store, but for your avatar. Like to me, that's a no brainer. The technologies so, it uses, I sort of don't care. Well, that's the whole point. The benefit it then becomes: Why does there need to be a blockchain? Why does it need to be secondary tradable? Right. And like I, I do see that that, that increases values because, you, you know, you, you're more likely to buy something if you think you could trade it. I just think the entire ethos of the metaverse currently and the blockchain gaming world, it's all financialization where it's like people aren't buying that because they want it. They're buying it because they think True. the price will Good go up. And until and maybe it's happening because maybe this this is all getting washed out of the system a little bit because people are, you know, prices have come down, NFTs, sales have come down. But until that happens, I think I think we can't move forward to really get to like the capital M metaverse because you know, it's it's like every day when I go shopping, I don't buy this t-shirt that I'm wearing because I'm like, oh, well, next week Paul's gonna come and be like, this is worth 50 times what it is now. No, it's like I bought it because I a any clothes and b I think it looks cool and it, it you know it was the right price and it it fits. Yeah, it's not like oh next week I'm gonna sell it for ten times. <laughs> no, like that that is the wrong mentality. And as long as that mentality is the, the current like meta, if you will, I, I think we can't it is we can't really move forward with a lot of these technologies. Hot take. I'm going to clip that. And I think we need to put that out on socials. I think it's really smart what you just said. You captured it, I think. And I don't think enough people are talking about that, truly. Um, all right, let's move on to our last uh, duo of stories here, Jeff. Uh, we'll put two side by side here because they're both related to China. And the first one is China NFTs. Tencent and Ant Group join industry pledge to ban cryptocurrency and fight speculation. So it says here in a new self-discipline initiative, China's biggest tech firms agreed to enforce real name authentication for NFT buyers and to avoid secondary marketplaces. The agreement, which is not legally binding, is an acknowledgement from the industry of regulations that already exist in China for blockchain-based assets. So Tencent and Ant Group joining the fight in China to ban crypto. And, and if you're buying NFTs there, your real name is going to be exposed and you can't resell on, you know, in secondary marketplaces. So lots of restrictions. And then I want to put this so, next so to this no, other story. Sorry, before you go, there was, there's no secondary training. Is that what it said? Well, it says to oh, avoid oh, secondary oh, marketplaces. Okay. Right. Oh. Because your, because your real name is associated, I guess, with yeah. the NFT. Now it, yeah. it discourages people from reselling for fear, I guess, of uh, repercussions. 
Um, The second story is Shanghai to ramp up support for metaverse development, low carbon projects, smart gadgets to help China's economic recovery. So uh, Shanghai plans to establish an industry fund with around one and a half billion U.S. dollars in assets dedicated to metaverse development. Uh, It'll help Shanghai foster 10 leading companies and 100 small sized firms, which could launch 100 new metaverse products and services by 2025. That's wow. A lot of money. A lot of conviction there, a lot of companies potentially. So a little bit of two opposite stories here, right? A little bit of a dichotomy, which I think is interesting. On one hand, banning crypto, discouraging NFT, trying to kill secondary markets, right? Attaching your real name to those purchases so that they can find you and do something bad to you. I don't know, like, right? like they, they want real transparency, which is scary in a place like China. And then on the other hand, you have Shanghai devoting billions to building metaverse stuff. Explain this, Jeff. How can we have these two stories side by side? Well, Paul, I want to hear your take because I think we were discussing before that you may you may have a, a hammer drop here. Um, but I, I, you know, I think just to to hit the, the, a couple of the, the high points. I mean, um, you know, I think we've been calling this for a while that China would probably have their own version of the metaverse just because of what they've done with with the internet censorship and the, the government. So we we sort of always had the feeling that like whatever whoever was the ultimate winner of the metaverse in China would probably be a quasi kind of government run entity. So I'm not shocked that that sh- it's interesting, you know, I'm not shocked that Shanghai is is investing into metaverse projects. Um that's not surprising. It is interesting to talk about low carbon projects. I don't know if those are necessarily the same because, you know, the metaverse, particularly if you include crypto, probably is not maybe that great for the environment. So it's kind of uh, ironic that they throw that in there. The other story about the censorship, I'm on the fence on that one. I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits um, to you, people using their real name on the internet. I think a lot more, um, a, a lot of the issues of the internet and of social media would probably be decreased if more people were required to use their real names and not necessarily hide behind anonymous accounts or, or just be vile and have no, no consequences. So I, I do, I do like that um, to some extent. It brings up an interesting point about the metaverse. Like, do you think in the future of the metaverse, will you be able to hide behind an anonymous avatar and just be a terrible person or will you be, will it be linked? Um, and then the last piece that, you know, we, we're tying the metaverse and crypto very closely here. Like, I'm curious, we've skirted around this issue for, you know, 30 episodes. Curious if your, your thoughts on that have evolved. Like, do they go hand in hand or are they maybe not completely linked? Yes. Good, good, good thoughts and good questions. Um, let me answer the first one, which is, um, do I think we need to use our real names in the capital M metaverse? Um, I think probably not, right? In my mind, I understand the benefits of doing that, but I think it also defeats the purpose, right? Like if we're going to create this alternate universe that we can escape into, um, tying it to who I really am in some ways, you lose, I think, that a little bit of the escapism, right? Like I may want to be, I may be the the straightest arrow, you know, Boy Scout in the real world, but maybe in the metaverse, I want to be a pirate, right? Like, I don't know, maybe I just decided I want to be a pirate. And, um, you know, not in the criminal sense, but, you know, dress up like a pirate, talk like a pirate, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, 
just maybe that's yeah. my thing and my character and the and the place I want to escape to, and that should be okay, right? Like people when I go to the office on Monday shouldn't know that I'm Paul the pirate. Um, <laughs> and and I, and on the second question, I, I think you're right. Uh, I think it's imp- it's an important distinction to make because I think a lot of times this does get skirted around and it's important that I think we put, at least I put my foot down in terms of my thinking on this, which is you, the metaverse can and will exist or can exist. I should say without crypto crypto is not a necessary component of the metaverse or for the metaverse to be successful. We could create holodecks, which is my you know vision of the metaverse. We could create, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's vision of the metaverse. We could create uh, Ready Player One's vision of the metaverse. We could create Snow Crash's vision of the metaverse. Like every metaverse that people have conceived and dreamt about, all of them can exist without any semblance of crypto whatsoever. Crypto is not a requirement. What has happened is the crypto people, and please don't take any offense from this, have co opted the metaverse because crypto people for years now have been searching for their killer app, the thing that brings crypto to the mainstream. And they're desperate in this search, right? Because crypto was supposed to put all the banks out of business and it hasn't yet. Crypto was supposed to put, you know, all government treasury, like all all of the, the economic sort of foundations of governments out of business. It was supposed to make paper currency go away, right? Like the promise of crypto while I do believe will be realized, has not yet been realized. And so crypto people over the years have gotten antsy and are looking for that killer app. And all of a sudden, metaverse and gaming are the hottest things on the planet. And so the crypto people are like, oh, well, we can do that, right? And let's just weave ourselves into that narrative. <laughs> and and they don't have to exist in that narrative. They They've chosen to exist in that narrative and people have put them together because the conversations get muddled a bit, but I'm, I, I'm here to say, and I feel very firmly about this, the metaverse can exist without crypto. I think if anything, crypto will end up being just like the payments layer for the metaverse because it makes sense. It's digital first and things like that. But I can see how China can refuse one and accept the other because they are different and distinct. And it's interesting that China has sort of taken the stance, anti-crypto, anti-NFT, pro-metaverse. I don't know if you agree. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, I think that was incredibly well said. I'd clip <laughs> that, throw that on social media too. We're coming up with all the hot takes. That, no, I, I don't have much more to that. I think that was really well said. I think it has been something we've been flirting around and trying to, you know, really put together our, our comprehensive like ideology. And then who knows, maybe these thoughts can change. I know that that's, that's your, your thoughts, you know, maybe, maybe mine will change at some point, but um, I think right now what you said is absolutely right. It's crypto latching on because they're looking for a killer app and they haven't found one yet. I think that was like a spot like that really resonated with me. But look, I would, love, I would love to hear what our listeners think, our viewers think. I would love their opinions. If you disagree, uh, that's even more fun. And uh, that wraps up this week's podcast, Jeff. So as always, thank you. Guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in every week. 
Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast. Hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you get this. Share the your favorite episode with a friend. Uh, share it on social media. We really appreciate it. That's how it's continued to grow. And uh, go follow Jeff on Twitter because he's got all kinds of hot takes all the time. At Jeff Cohen 23. Don't forget. Um, and the most important thing, guys, the future is fun. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.